thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Flourish with Elise Comerford, where we hear real stories from everyday people that will encourage and inspire you on your own health journey. Hey guys, welcome to the Flourish podcast, where we hear real healing stories from real people. Uh, that will hopefully inspire you wherever you are at on your own healing journey. So today I have with me the lovely Shelly McKenzie. Hi, Shelly. Hi, Lee. How are you going? Good. How are you? Yeah, really well, thanks. That's, thanks for having me. Oh, such a pleasure. And it's really nice. I, I, I love talking to my clients. Which I, I talk to my clients all the time. Um, and that, that's who I've had really on my podcast so far. And I do love having them. But it is nice to have someone on today that is not one of my clients <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm super excited to sort of share my story and hopefully your listeners get something out of it yeah well I just think everyone's everyone's story has has a way of inspiring each person and I find that I have people kind of giving me feedback about the podcast and it's always about a different one you know that story really hit a note with me that really sounded like something I'm going through um, I've even had some people saying, like, that story made me cry. I had the tissues out and that was, you know, really. So I, I think that everyone's story, um, we're, we're getting a really diverse range of stories on this podcast so far. And I just think they're all so valuable. So I'm really excited to hear your story today because I don't know it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, amazing. <laughs> yeah. So what's been going on lately in your life, Shelley, before we get into it? So I think the Biggest thing is probably that I've just announced I'm pregnant. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. So I'm 23 weeks pregnant um, and I just sort of let the world know a couple of weeks ago um, I've hit it pretty well, to be honest. (laughs) You have done well. (laughs) I know, I know. So 20 weeks I actually told people. But, um, yeah, so we're pregnant. So to be honest, that's sort of been... Yeah, like my main focus at the moment um, is just the pregnancy and answering everyone's questions about it and, yeah, so it's exciting. Have you, are you finding out if it's a boy or a girl or is it a surprise? No, it's a surprise. That's mainly because of my husband. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a really impatient person who hates surprises. So, um, like, I would love to know. And the organizational side of me is really wanting to know. But when we went for our scan, he literally held my eyelids shut <laughs> just so I couldn't see. So, no, that's going to be a total surprise, whether it's a boy or girl. So, we keep guessing and we've done all the wives' tales. and Yeah. You know, God knows, I've got no idea. So you got the wedding ring and dangled that over yeah, the side. That, that, that says it's a boy and then like, you know, it's apparently I've, I've had dermatitis um, on my face around my eyes since pregnancy and yeah. people are like, oh, well, that means it's a girl like because they suck the beauty out of you. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> so that's apparently another wives' tale. So yeah. yeah, it's been quite funny. Well, you've got a 50-50 chance of getting it right. I know, right? <laughs> Yeah, and that's first baby for you guys? It is, yeah. 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 So we're having a little winter baby. We're due in July. We're actually due the same date as my husband's birthday. Oh, lovely. My son was born on my birthday. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He was born on my birthday. Very special. Yeah, Yeah. my husband's like, I hope it comes right on time. Like, I want it on my birthday. Yeah, best birthday (laughs) present ever. Yeah, oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Um, so 
we want to hear a bit about what, what's been going on for you. So all I know of your story so far is that it's got to do with Hashimoto's. And I know that is a really common problem um, with a lot of women. It's something I hear a lot of. Um, so I think this one could really help a lot of people. So do you want to just start telling us about that, about when this yeah. all started for you and how that all looked? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I guess I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. So I grew up in a small country town on the border of New South Wales and Victoria. So it's called Yarrawonga, Malala. And in small country towns, to be honest, there's not a lot to do. Like you play a lot of sport. Um, so I always grew up, you know, very, very active. And my family was quite healthy. You know, it was the typical like meat and three veg type um, meals and Every Friday night, we got to have fish and chips, and that was like, you know, heaven. Um, and so we grew up, you know, in a really healthy family. And when I was 18, I moved to Melbourne, and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do at that stage. So I just became a personal trainer so I could start working and then later on work out what I wanted to do. And I was really lapping up the Melbourne lifestyle, I guess you could say. So at age 18, you know, I've moved from the country. So in the country, drinking can start quite early as well. So I'd already sort of been dabbling in the party world for a couple of years. And then when I moved to Melbourne, I just embraced it. So I was (laughs) partying. That sounds like me. (laughs) I know. I think like it's it's really common, you know. It's like, oh, my God whole new world and so um from about the age 18 to 24 when I call it my health storm hit I had been personal training so from that typical you know Monday to Friday I ate what I thought was good and I trained (laughs) a lot and then come the weekend I'd literally just drink (laughs) no holds barred (laughs) yeah exactly like it just went all out the window and then come Monday it'd be going again and it's actually a really common cycle that a lot of people live in um And so, yeah, so that's what I was doing. And all of my relationships um, since I'd moved to Melbourne were based pretty much on alcohol and partying. So all my friendships and, you know, I was meeting new people and um, they were all based around that partying lifestyle. Then when I hit 24, I'd been having some digestive issues for a couple of years or at least a year, I'd say. and my mum's a nurse, so I'd ring mum and be like, Mum, you know, this is what I've got going on. Do I need to worry? And she's like, you know, go do some tests. So I'd go and get colonoscopies and all sorts of things done and everything would come back clear. And I'd go, okay. And so off I'd go on my terrible lifestyle again. Um, and this one weekend at 20, age 24, so this is in about 2012, I was heading back to the country to visit my parents. And oh, it's a three-hour drive from Melbourne. And on that drive, I started getting like a really sore neck and a sore back. And I thought, oh, I'll just book in for a massage when I get home and, um, you know, just release the, the tension I was holding. And after that massage, I literally put myself to bed and felt so incredibly sick. And I thought, oh, well, that's just released, I don't know, something in my body. Um, by the next day, I literally couldn't move. And that is when my health storm really occurred. So... Um, I remember I was laying in bed and I called my parents on their home phone and I was like, I need you to come up because I literally can't get out of bed. And my dad had to carry me to the couch and I went to the doctors and they couldn't work out what was wrong with me. And literally over a four-week period, I just declined drastically. So I um, couldn't hold down any food. I lost 15 kilos in four weeks and I'm six foot tall, so and quite like I had a quite athletic build and so that 15 kilos like I really didn't have that to lose yeah. um, 
and yeah, and I had to have an iron infusion in that time. Um, that it got to the point where I needed to be on 24-hour supervision. So the, the doctors were doing home visits to me and my boyfriend, who's now my husband, uh, came up and between him, mum and dad, one of them were at home with me 24-7 because I literally couldn't get off the couch to go to the bathroom. Like I had to be carried. Um, and so it was quite scary. And my diagnosis went from, you know, I've got everything from cancer to I've brought back a parasite when I've been traveling. And eventually they came up with the diagnosis of Hashimoto's. Um, and that was after about four, four weeks. So, yeah, I mean, not everybody with Hashimoto's will go through such a rapid decline like that. But I guess, you know, it's that old you know, your body know it's been giving me signs for so long. I'd just been choosing to ignore them until, you know, it just thought, well, we need a breakdown for you to actually listen. And what were the so, signs, Shelley? What were, what were those red flags you were seeing and ignored? Yeah, so most of them were just dige- digestive issues. So I would get, um, I'd go from really constipated to having diarrhea. At some stages, I actually had a little bit of blood in my stool, um, and they were sort of the biggest ones. I'd get really fatigued and just push through it. Um, yeah, so they were sort of the main main sides, but most of them were digestive complaints. Um, so, but the doctors always just came back, no, 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 everything's fine, you're fine. Um, yeah. So they were all the little niggles. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so you got to that point, you got the diagnosis, and then what happened? Yeah, so after that diagnosis, um, mum and I weren't 100% sure if, like, it took us years to actually believe I had Hashimoto's. Yeah. Um, Just because I guess the digestive issues were my main complaint for so long and everyone just kept saying, oh, no, that's fine, it's fine. And so anyway, once I got the diagnosis, I was heading over to India, actually. My um, now husband and I were riding a motorbike down the coastline for six weeks and I was told not to go, but being a stubborn human, I am, (laughs) I was going to go. Um, And that was literally just like, I don't know, maybe three to four weeks later after the diagnosis. And so I was still very sick. So the doctors gave me literally a bag of pills, like a bag of medication, and they said to me, you'll know when you need to start taking this, but you need to take it with you over to India. If you start to experience signs such as like ongoing fatigue and what have you, you need to start taking it, and they gave me this medication. And the thought of taking a pill every day for the rest of my life at eight from age 24 which was going to control how I felt, just really didn't sit well with me. I guess I knew that I could make really drastic changes to my lifestyle and potentially that would help this diagnosis. And so when we went over to India, we had an amazing time, but obviously like I just had to take it really easy and there'd be days where we wouldn't be able to get on the bike and um, I'd just have to rest for the day and what have you and that was fine. But I decided to start playing a little bit with my diet and so – I, the first things I gave up was gluten, dairy, and sugar. Don't really know why. Like I wasn't um, studying nutrition at the time. I just thought they're the three things that I know aren't sitting well with me. Yeah, they're like the common ones people always talk about is that yeah. you know, gluten, dairy, and sugar are kind of, yeah. Absolutely, because at the end of the day, it's inflammation in the body. And so, um, you know, the gluten and the dairy and the sugar and having all of those combined in such large portions just was – 
not doing me any well. So I went off those two, three things and I actually um, went vegan for about six months. And so, um, again, I think at the time I didn't really know what I was doing with my diet, but I just felt like I had so much inflammation in my body that I just needed like a really full-on cleanse. Um, I didn't do the vegan diet amazingly well just because I didn't really know what I was doing. And so at about six months, I started to experience a lot of symptoms again, um, like the fatigue, and I was struggling to get through my days. So then I started incorporating meat back in. Um, But that was probably the first thing I started doing. And I should note, I didn't take my medication. However, you know, everybody's so different. So I now, I now had the understanding that my diagnosis was picked up, although I had some niggling symptoms, it was picked up quite early. And so I've been able to control the inflammation in my body through diet and lifestyle. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean everyone, doesn't mean, you know, taking medication is the wrong thing or, you know, if you're on medication for Hashimoto's that you can just go off it and start eating well and living, you know, a great lifestyle and you won't need the medication. Like everybody is so different. So I do just like to stress that when I'm sharing my story. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So basically for anyone out there with Hashimoto's listening, go see a practitioner. 100%, yeah, because I think the other thing is, you know, I really believe there's a place obviously for Western medicine but um, I think when we are diagnosed with Hashimoto's, we're not always given other options other than medication. Yeah, and absolutely. so that's another reason I like to share my stories because people are like, oh, okay, so I can actually do this. And even if you're medicated with Hashimoto's, you can still really keep your symptoms at a bay through diet and lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot you can do. So after I started adding meat back in at about the six-month point, um, I still kept gluten and dairy out. And I should say there, I also cut out alcohol for two years. So as I mentioned, I'd been drinking a lot um, and most of my relationships were built on partying. And so I set myself a goal to um, become a bodybuilder, which is like... Wow, that's a big goal. (laughs) I know, but I just like had been so wrapped up in this poor lifestyle that I just needed a way out. You sound a bit like an extremist. I'm a bit of an extremist too. Are you an Aquarian? (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm a Sagittarius, <laughs> but I definitely am. It's just like all or nothing. Yeah, yeah. So it was just easy for me to, you know, when people said, oh, why aren't you drinking when they were so used to me partying and drinking? Yeah. Like, oh, this is what I'm training for. And um, how did that affect your relationships? Yeah, to be honest, I lost a lot of relationships um, at that time. And, you know, looking back, I'm quite grateful now. At the time, I felt it felt really isolated and very I found it really hard um but now looking back I'm really happy that you know those relationships did eventually sort of phase out um because they weren't healthy relationships anyway and I think that they probably were causing a little bit more stress than I realized um and so yeah so that was the great thing about bodybuilding because at least then when those relationships were phasing out I was able to meet new people that were really driven and health focused yeah more on your level yeah so it was great so I sort of threw myself into that world uh for about a year and a half so um and to be honest it wasn't the best thing for the Hashimoto's to do in general for anyone like it can be a very restrictive lifestyle you know Everything you hear about the steamed broccoli, steamed chicken, you know, 
all of very that. low fat, very lean. Yeah, very bringing lean. that body fat, body, body yeah. fat, <laughs> body fat right down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which wasn't ideal, um, particularly being a female, just from a hormonal point of view. Yeah. So I did that for about a year and a half, and I started realizing that um, a few of my relationships that you know had stood the test of me not drinking were starting to, um, I guess, I don't know, like people were like, oh, you're really restricting Shelly. And, and I'd be at the point where I'd be ringing restaurants to make sure that they could boil me a piece of fish, yeah. you know, to go out. So it was a very restrictive lifestyle and it was starting to affect some of my relationships. Um, and I noticed that within myself, I was starting to get a very big complex around body image. So I remember at one point saying to my um, husband, oh, I look so fat. Looking back at that photo, I literally had a six-pack. But in my head, I felt like I looked fat. So when people started pointing this out to me, that was when I decided enough was enough. Um, and I made the changes that I needed to make. And so it was time to start bringing back body positivity and, you know, food back into my life. Um, and so I think this it. is really going to hit a note with a lot of listeners because I know – um, a lot of my listeners are people that have gone on the GAPS journey and it is that, that really rings true for all of us, that how restricted you need to be and how that can affect your mindset and also your body yeah. image. It's something I've struggled with as well for sure. Oh, and that's it. And, you know, it, it, it really does. I think when we're so wrapped up in it, we're just doing it and we're on that autopilot and we know that there's a, a bigger purpose and we know why we're doing it. But I think eventually once that healing's come into play, then it's time to really start bringing life back in. Balance, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's been an ongoing journey for me and now – you know, I like to tell my clients, so for your listeners, I'm a nutritionist and study in naturopathy here in Melbourne, and I always like to tell my clients, you know, my favorite things are espresso martinis, pizza, chocolate, <laughs> like, because I just think it's so important that people know that you can still live a really healthy, well-balanced lifestyle, and I'm still managing my Hashimoto's medication-free, but I do enjoy you know, the small pleasures in life, like yeah. I'll have an espresso martini every week. <laughs> um so, yeah, so that's sort of my journey and where I'm at and, um, yeah. So you got to that point, you were body, you were doing the bodybuilding and then you realised mm-hmm. that that was getting a bit too much and you kind of saw you needed balance. So what were the steps you took to then bring some balance back in and how was your Hashimoto's going through that? Yeah, so my Hashimoto's was actually okay. So um, at the very beginning, I was getting tested, blood tests done and like on my thyroid levels weekly and then that spaced out to fortnightly and then monthly and then every six months. And my Hashimoto's was actually fine during that period. I guess just from an inflammation point of view, it was still like I was still living a very low inflammation life. Um, And so it was okay and I wasn't in it for long enough for it to really affect the Hashimoto's. Yeah. But, yeah, and then the steps I took coming out of that, um, the bodybuilding gym that I was actually working with, they had, like, it's almost like an AA meeting but for bodybuilders. Yeah. And so you would go to it and they, like, other um, bodybuilders would share their story about the post-comp, they call it, like, post-comp blues um, and what have you. And so that was really eye-opening for me because I listened to other people's stories just about – 
how they were still counting calories and still counting their macros and were scared of going near like fruit or, you know, just little things like that. And so, again, that was a real eye-opener that, hey, I'm in the same boat as these people and I really need to start making steps. So um, the first things I did was with my exercise, I was, walking a lot as a part of my training to lean down and so I just stopped all walking I kept doing my um, weight training four days a week and I did a lot of body love like sounds a bit silly but I would literally look in the mirror and try to find one thing I liked about myself every day and at the start it was literally like you know I like my pinky finger that was where my head was at I just couldn't find something but I I did that every single day morning and night and eventually I started to find things that I actually liked about myself again that's a fantastic Um, um activity to do I really like that one yeah and like it's so small and honestly like it's so important to know that it's not easy like you can say oh yeah I like you know my big toe yeah you know but not actually mean it so it's important to start really small so that's where I was at I was like oh yeah my fingers I like my fingers um and every day it may have been the same thing until eventually I started to find other things that I actually liked about myself um so I think that was one of the biggest things I did in terms of that body love self-love to try to get myself out of that mindset and I did a lot of journaling as well so when I started actually finding things that I liked I did a lot of journaling and then I found the 80-20 method which I think is really overused the 80-20 you know like everyone's like oh you know 80-20 rule yeah for yeah, excuse yeah. for everything it ends up being 60-40 because you're just like 80-20 all the time <laughs> absolutely and so um with that and I still practice the 80-20 method and you know some weeks it is 60-40 and other weeks it's not and that's fine but at the start when I first started implementing it and I do the same with my clients was I would actually plan so if I knew I had a dinner out on a Saturday night You know, previously when I was in the bodybuilding world, I would ring up to make sure that they would do steamed everything, no sauces, nothing. Whereas now if I knew that I was in going out for dinner, I'd just keep my meals a little bit lighter through the day. So I might start with a beautiful smoothie bowl and then a beautiful salad with lots of fats and proteins and then I would allow myself to enjoy that meal. And so I actually would plan you know, what my, when my 20% would be. So I like to call the 20% is soul food. And so, you know, yeah, if I knew I had a birthday on or if I knew um, I wanted to go out for drinks with the girls or if I knew I wanted to do something, I just sort of plan that. And that really helped my mindset. Um, Eventually I was able to let go of the planning and just naturally sort of be able to live that 80-20 and know how to balance things out accordingly to my Hashimoto's and I guess I became more focused on that eventually um so yeah that's sort of how I made the shifts I guess and with your with the way you ate tell us a little bit about that about what the dietary kind of what you've implemented to manage your Hashimoto's yeah sure so I'm still gluten-free um And I've only just started bringing in a little bit of dairy again, only because with this pregnancy, I've been craving it. So I've been having a little bit of Greek yogurt. But prior to this pregnancy, I was also um, pretty much dairy free. I'd started bringing in a little bit of goat's um, cheese and what have you where I could. But 
yeah, gluten is 100% out because more and more research is coming out that gluten does actually attack your thyroid and affect, yeah. affect your thyroid. So that I've been 100% gluten-free now for about seven years. Um, dairy, as I said, I'm starting to bring that back in and it's sitting really well with my body. Um, sugar, I eat, but I try to do healthy you know, healthy alternatives where possible. However, if I want an ice cream, I'm going to go and eat it. Um, and so, yeah, I guess now I'm more of a whole food uh, diet. I definitely am really big on the quality of my food. So I don't eat 100% organic, but I do eat probably 80 to 90% organic most of the time. And to keep that affordable, I shop at local farmers markets and um, things like that. Um, and I do eat meat. My father-in-law is actually a butcher, but we so we eat really good quality meat and really important as well so I try to get you know hormone free um all free range where possible organic where possible and again shopping at the local markets really helps to keep the cost down um particularly if you go say on a Sunday when they're getting rid of a lot of their um food it'll be discounted quite heavily and so that's one way for listeners that are thinking oh organic like it's so expensive I think that's one way to start bringing in a little bit more organic food but yeah I am very big on the quality of my food um as well so yeah definitely more of a whole food sort of uh diet now right yeah and that's it's it's really the way to go isn't it i find there's there can be so many different ways to implement it there's like paleo there's gaps there's keto there's all these different ways to implement it and i just feel like it always comes down to that fact of whole food that's really the important factor yeah, definitely. And, you know, I've tried every diet under the sun. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's what you do every, as a nutritionist. Yeah. Don't you? You just try yeah. everything. And um, at the end of the day, like that's where, yeah, I guess I just come, keep coming back to that 80-20 principle and um, just eating whole foods. So 80% of the time I'm nourishing my body and 20% of the time I'm nourishing my soul. Um, yeah. yeah, and then I will say, though, obviously um, – there's certain triggers with Hashimoto's. So, you know, we know there's environmental triggers and there's dietary triggers as well. So for most with Hashimoto's, I will say gluten is often a very large trigger there. Um, And so gluten is definitely one of my triggers. And if I have a high amount of stress, I will find my thyroid and my Hashimoto's will flare up. And I normally know that I'm going through a flare up because I'll experience really severe fatigue where I could be in bed for three days and I know that my thyroid out of whack and so during that time um, I go and get a blood test and see where my levels are at and then depending on what my results show because with Hashimoto's the other thing is you can swing between hyper and hypothyroiditis so um, depending on what those results say will depend on how I eat so um, that's another important thing you know if somebody is out there managing it through lifestyle and nutrition um it is important to keep on top of what your symptoms are what your triggers are and how do you manage that to pull yourself back into balance yeah Um, yeah and so how have you been going through your pregnancy so far yeah well it's funny because a lot of um women you know will actually discover Hashimoto's through pregnancy that's the time that it's often picked up um and for me you know, it can go two ways. It can either 
the pecta can really flare up through pregnancy or it can settle right down and then often flare up post-pregnancy. Um, so for me, my Hashimoto's has really settled down through pregnancy. I've been getting regular blood tests every four weeks just to keep an eye on it. But yeah, so far it's fine. So I'm preparing myself for once we ha- once I have the baby that perhaps things will go a little bit haywire in terms of my thyroid. Um, and again, just based on what that comes back as those results will be determined how I eat. But um, yeah, through pregnancy, it's actually been really good. That's excellent. You must be so relieved. I am because it's a bit of a, you know, you hear all these horror stories as well and people love to tell you. Yeah, I know. It's so, I find that so bizarre that uh, the, the things people have told me, like when I was pregnant and what I've heard people tell other people, I'm like, I just couldn't imagine going up to a pregnant person and saying that. <laughs> no, I know. So, like there's been some times where I'm like, whoa, that's really, you know, full on. Yeah. Um, it scared me a little bit. Um, but, yeah, no, things have, things have been fine. We did actually miscarriage um, late last year. And so miscarriage can be really high with Hashimoto's. Um, yeah. However... <clears throat> Yeah, I, we were doing the my thyroid very regularly just because, again, I'm unmedicated. And I'd sort of said to my doctors, if I need to through pregnancy, I'm absolutely willing to go on medication. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just haven't needed to. And with the last pregnancy, we thought it may have been the Hashimoto's why I miscarried, but my levels, again, had been really balanced. And so I guess that was just nature, you know, taking care of something that wasn't quite right. But, yeah. Um, that's one thing, you know, for any women with Hashimoto's, you'll hear a lot of. Like, so I think I had a bit of fear about getting pregnant because yeah. I was just, I'm going to miscarriage. Like, it's just, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, I, first pregnancy, I probably had a little bit of stress on me and had created a bit of stress in my mind purely because I'd heard so many stories around, you know, Hashimoto's and um, miscarriage and all the rest of it. Whereas this pregnancy has been totally fine. So, yeah. Well, that's fantastic. You'll have to share a picture of the bubba when it arrives. Definitely. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and I had another question there. Let's see if it comes into my mind in the next few seconds. No, it's gone. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Shelley. Um, it's so uh, It's so always so positive to hear when someone is able to manage something through diet. Um mm and and be feeling really good throughout that i got my question back it was how are your digestive symptoms now you said that that was your main kind of symptom how how are those symptoms now yeah so going back to that we now know that um gut plays a really large part in thyroid disease as well and so um now it makes sense why i was experiencing a lot of digestive issues so i've had to do a lot of gut work um in the process of me healing and now my gut is fine um again if it's if anything happens with my digestive system it's generally because i've been exposed to gluten or something that i wouldn't usually eat um but yeah i've had i did do a lot of gut work just in terms of like healing and sealing my gut and making sure that i've got all the right um bacterias in there and what have you so that i could thrive um so yeah now my digestion is good but that again has taken years and again if i experience a bit of a flare-up with my hashimoto's which might happen 
once a year or twice a year, um, my digestion will also be another symptom and another, you know, aha, that's what's going on. So it'll be the fatigue and the digestive issues that come up. Yeah. Mm. And, yeah, it is like, you know, it's so important. Um, that's why I love your podcast as well. I was so happy when I found it because um, I think it is so important just to remember that food really is medicine and the power of food is literally incredible. It can it can really heal um, one's health and so, yeah, there's so much to be to be done with food and so we always need to be turning to that where possible. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah, so. and I, I totally agree and I, and I think even when – even at the times where Western medicine plays a part, food is still also a piece of the puzzle. I just think no matter what yeah. approach you're taking, food is always a piece of that puzzle. I 100% agree because at the end of the day, right, any medication, whether it be a herb, a supplement or a medication from a doctor is to an extent a Band-Aid. And so if we can really get our food right, then we'll have such a better chance at just like healing and thriving medication with medication or not. Um, so, yeah, I think everybody can do a lot with their diet and lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. Well, good luck with the rest of your pregnancy. Thank you. Hope yes. you keep enjoying the second trimester. That's always the best bit where, you, you know, you always feel like healthier and well in that second trimester. Um, I know. <laughs> it's such a nice place to be. <laughs> I know. I know. Everyone keeps saying that to me. So they're like, enjoy it while it lasts. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't mean to say it like that. I didn't want to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I know. <laughs> no, in the third trimester with my son, if I ever started to go, oh, I'm sick of being pregnant, I just go, two more weeks of freedom or three more weeks of freedom. <laughs> So true. Yeah, so I just really like try and enjoy them. <laughs> yeah, that's a great mindset to be in. Yeah, yeah, but being a mother is is the best thing I've done so far. It's it's absolutely amazing. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, cool. All right, well, so lovely to chat to you today, Shelley. Thanks yeah, for sharing your story with us. Welcome. Thanks, Elise. All right, see ya. Bye, guys. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.